Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Oh, look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like, you don't have to look any further than the person. Of Jesus, and we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here we say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible for the next few moments to follow along uh, with today's sermon. And so, if you need a Bible, if you forgot your Bible, you can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you. And then, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen three of you think that. Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Hey, Amen. That's better. Hey, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. And John, you can find, if you're new to the Scripture, you can start in the right and turn left, and you'll find the Gospel of John much faster. We're going to John chapter 12. We're going to go two-thirds of the way, over two-thirds of the way through. Uh, you'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and then you'll find John. And... Uh, I forgot my glasses, but I only have a few verses to read, so uh, I think I'll be okay. Uh, last time I did this, someone tried to hand me their glasses as if they're... I'm not at that age where you just swap out glasses. I, I, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, anyways, uh, so verse 20 of, of chapter 12 says this, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And that was Pastor Joe. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us, I thank you for over the next. I thank you for over the next few moments. Whatever those are, would, that your words would penetrate our hearts. Penetrate our hearts. And that we would think about you, and that we would think about you differently. Today. You would reveal to us. You would reveal to us through a spirit of revelation. The uncovers our eyes were veiled. That once our eyes were veiled, that we would see you clearly. Clearly, you'd use these scriptures. You'd I think you'd use these scriptures. You'd use our time together. You would use this kind of community of stir us and encourage us, stir us and encourage us all towards you. Thank you, praise you, and everything we say to you, praise you, and everything we say to you brings glory to you, and good is this valley, and everyone said, amen. Wasn't that, amen, wasn't that so incredible? Sorry, like, is he going to mention that? Is he going to act like that didn't 
just uh, happen. And I'm, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm so, can we, can we just honor those who were baptized and then those who were baptized and then those who answered for all of the things in front of everybody? Thank you. It's powerful. I'm proud of you, and I'm, I'm thankful God, uh, for what God is doing in your life, and you should be thankful for what God is doing here at Crossroads Church in this bad life. Amen. Change. Lives are being changed, and life change doesn't happen. Just people don't have change. People don't just change, and that's one of the markers of Christianity is that people have radical, life-changing experiences. And so today I think. Today I would be remiss in kind of digging in what you just saw in what you just saw through the waters of baptism. And I just tell you, those I just tell you, those who missed your shots, we got a ten and a five service and a five service, and so service, and so there's always an opportunity. And you know, last week we last last week we partook in the Lord's table or communion. We haven't done that in a while. And I just publicly say, as a pastor, I'll repent as a pastor that I've not made that an emphasis as much as I should. As much as what happens is sometimes what happens is things become ritual routines. Routines become rituals. Jesus says this. He says the traditions of men, the traditions of men, can make the word of God. Oftentimes we don't really know why you have what we do. You have things in your home. You have some things that you have a tendency to do. You have and you have your spouse and your spouse has no routines and you know where they sit and they know where you sit and and I don't get in my seat and my seat and we're learning that with a big family. We got boys, four kids, three boys. She's got her wings. Yeah, she's got her wings. Yeah, she ain't got no wings yet. I'm telling you, she's a nightmare. So, so. Thank, thank God in heaven for big families. Amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you didn't grow up in a big family? Can I just tell you that you have an opportunity to be a part of the biggest family in the history of the world? Someone say amen to that. And see, sometimes what happens, it, just like in your big family, in our big family, we do some things and then we don't quite know why we do what we do. And, uh, we have tendencies. Uh, if you listen to the podcast uh, yet, and some of you should have, and uh, some of you need to catch up, and uh, we talk about, there's a story, and everyone gives me a hard time, because oftentimes I'll use repetitive stories, or like if you've been here, you've heard some of similar stories, or if I'm talking about a particular topic, I'll say that thing the same way. So like when I say, what is the gospel? Okay, the gospel, you get that word thrown around oftentimes. In the Greek, it's evangelion, which means the announcement of a king, okay? And so when we say the gospel of Jesus, uh, if I were to ask some people, um, and most often in churches, how the, what the gospel gets communicated as, you go, what's the gospel? They go, Jesus forgives me of my sin. 
<clears throat> and it, so the gospel is about you? Think about how I'm saying that. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus forgives me of my sin. Now, that may be a part of the gospel, but how does Jesus forgive me of my sin? What happened that even gives Jesus the ability to do that? Because ultimately, the idea here is that if there is a, a crime, there must be a punishment, and the punishment must fit the crime. But the crime of humanity is that we have uh, given the finger to the Creator, and we have said our way is better than God's way. And we've just said all oftentimes, and, and every single day of our lives, we have this opportunity, even as believers, born again believers, that are now heightened, heightenedly aware that there are two me's that live in me. How about you? You, you, ever, you ever talk to yourself? Right? You know it's okay to talk to yourself? It's even okay to answer yourself as long as you don't say, huh? Right. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it's okay to talk. Some of, you, some of you need to have a conversation with yourself and go, hey, knock it off, okay? So, some of you need to have a talk with you, a conversation with you. But here's what happens for born-again believers. We're hyper aware of the conflict of my way versus God's way. And this new me that wants to do the right thing wants to go this way and the old me. And the job of the new me is to starve the old me. I'm doing okay over here, Mark. Uh, thank, thank you. And uh, in other words, the old you has been rendered powerless. And behold, there's this new you. Well, how does that happen? How can God do away with the old? How can he put to death the old? It's because he took on death. So we join him in his death that we might join him in his life. And ultimately, that's what this passages begin getting to say. But oftentimes when we say the gospel or we talk about Jesus, we limit that to just the old us and the new us. And now we need to expand it to this big grand family. So what I do is I'll, I'll say something in, in uh, similar ways. And so uh, over the years, I, I, I kind of try to work on how would I say this? How would I simply define this? And so when, when, we, dis when we say the gospel around here, here's how we define it. And, and this is personally how I've grown to define the gospel. It means our God has become king by way of the cross, and we must all follow suit. Evangelion is the gospel, the announcement of a new king. How did he become king? Not the way you ever thought that he would become king. And that's where we're at in this particular story is we can so get in tradition, we can so get in ritual, baptism, communion, singing, worshiping, that we forget the announcement of this king. That ultimately, Jesus changed human history by dying on a cross in front of uh, an entire city where millions of people would have bombarded for the Passover in this small little area. And thousands watched him publicly crucified. Many saw him taken, his body, by the Romans and put into a tomb. Three days later, he rose again and he changed the course of human history. You go, man, I don't know that I think that. I think people have propagated lies. And, 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 and here, here's the, the thing about a lie. 
in this particular uh, instance is, is ultimately when trouble comes, the truth will come out. God uses trouble at times for the truth to come out. Amen? Amen. And so uh, let me give you an example. Uh, when you were a part of this big family and you and your brother and sister were fighting in uh, the room and, the, and your parents came in and said, hey, what's going on? Who did it? And quickly you go, she did it, right? Or he did it. How many just don't, just own it, right? How many of you, some of you were golden, the golden child. How many of you firstborns like, it was never me. No, it was not. The truth is they always did it, right? And when, when, when trouble comes, we'll give, we'll give up the person we're in cahoots with. And so, um, the story of Jesus is that Jesus had skeptical brothers and sisters. His brothers are documented. They even mock him at one festival. Jesus, go down to the festival and tell them who you are, right? It, it, it's, it's noted. And then ultimately what we'll know about the, the brothers of Jesus is that they will go on to be martyrs for the church. They go from mocking him to being martyred for him. Let me tell you, some of you got a, uh, you have a brother, amen? How many of you got a brother, right? How many of you, your, bro, your boneheaded brother could convince you he's God, right? And then, and then go to your death for him if it's a lie. Or did they believe it because something changed? They saw a man raised from the dead and it changed everything. And they believed that he was king of the entire universe and that he was using his people to change the world. Again, you may argue with that, but if you were to... If you were to, uh, to take someone from the first century church or, or someone in the city of Rome then and transport them to now, they would see crosses lining the city of Rome and they would say, what are you doing? Maybe they would walk up to you and, and see your gold uh, necklace that's a cross and they go, why do you have a Roman torture symbol on your Neck. It would be so asinine to them as if you wore an electric chair on your neck. This was not a symbol of goodness. It was not a symbol of hope and grace and salvation and sacrificial love. It was a symbol of death. And somehow this glorious death on this cross... This beautiful, beaten body of Jesus transformed the known world and took one of the worst symbols in human history and turned it into a symbol of goodness. So crazy that now when you sign up for health care and health insurance, there'll be a cross in the letterhead. Or, or if you look off from the beach and you're caught in a rip current, you're looking for a symbol of hope on the beach, the sign of the lifeguard stand, the symbol of the cross. Every humanitarian effort in, in all of human history has been lined with crosses, symbols of death, no symbols of life because Jesus traded his life and he took on death so that death could be the way in which we find our lives. Someone say amen, amen. to that. Jesus is with his friends and people are hearing about this gospel. People are hearing about the miracles that Jesus is doing and they're all trying to figure out just who he is. And there's some Gentile 
Greeks, they use the word Greeks in this particular passage. What they mean is non-Jews. And they come looking for Jesus, and Jesus kind of ignores them. There's another passage in Matthew 10 where Jesus tells, sends his disciples out to go try to evangelize the local Jews. And he says, don't go in the way of Gentiles, or don't go to the Gentile cities, the Gentile regions or areas. Don't go to the way of Samaritans. Stay right here. And he would say in other instances, he goes, my time has not yet come. The time, I, I, I'm, I'm to be here for the, the children of the house of Israel. And when you read these, especially for those of us, most of us who are non-Jewish believers, you go, man, what Jesus, what was it then that you were avoiding non-Jews? And why is it that you were so adamant about reaching Jews? And, and and this is one of those instances. The Greeks come and they, they come to look and they want to find Jesus. He ignores them and says this, the hour has come that the son of man will be glorified. Now this son, son, of, son of man, for those of you who haven't been around for a while, we've been defining this term. Son of man uh, would have been for a young Jew, the Jewish Superman. You could find this story in Daniel 7. And it's actually one of the strongest evidences uh, in the Hebrew Bible, because oftentimes what happens is uh, the Jews, because they are monotheistic, when Jesus comes and claims to be God, this is contradictory to their foundational beliefs. Yet inside of their scriptures, there are scriptures that point to there is one God, but put on display for us in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when we baptize today, I said, upon your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This one true God that we know and experience his love and grace and his influence and his glory through these distinct persons. And so you, you might say, um, that's really hard to understand, right? That's, that's really hard to grasp. And let me just tell you that if you ever find yourself in a place where you understand God, you've replaced him, and that's really bad theology. Someone say amen. To that. So, so, so let me tell you that if it, your theology, what you believe about God, has led you to believe that you have God figured out, I can tell you that that is a bad way to think about life. Amen? That's a bad way to think about any relationship, right? I come home and I look at my wife and I go, I have you pegged, baby. Like, I, I, got, I got you figured out everything about you. And she's like, She's like, the heck you do, right? Like, you don't, you don't know me. You're about to find a different side of me, right? Because relationship is about discovery. Relationship is about being known and knowing. And yet what we are invited into is this relationship with a God that you never can quite put your finger on. That, that yet we can know him and be known by him, but the pursuit will take us all of eternity. You can study who Jesus is. You can follow him around for all of eternity and you will never plunge the depths. You'll still be, it'll be an eternity going forward and you'll just be ankle deep in who he is. Because when you think that God is doing one thing, God is doing 
billions of things, and your mind can't comprehend. And, and some of us try to articulate it, and we try to tell other people about God's story in our life. And you go, man, I know you're not going to believe this, but there's all these coincidences, and there's these things that happened that led me along the way. I don't know how he did it, and I don't know, I don't know how he made this happen, and this person I encountered. I don't know how I ended up at Crossroads Church on that day in October, and out of nowhere, out of six years of doing baptism the exact same way, he just grabbed a microphone and said, hey, won't you come up here and get in this horse trough? And, uh, and, and, and everything just kind of led in this sequence. I can't explain it, but I can tell you that God was authoring something and he was using people in unexpected places that I never could quite understand. Man, that's good news that maybe I couldn't figure out this God and yet Jesus defines himself as the son of man, the Jewish superman in Daniel 7. It's this human-like figure who gets exalted to the right hand of the Father, a place of God, and he's worshiped as God. So not, not only is this figure in Daniel 7 a human, he's also somehow God. And yet the Bible says that in, in, in Daniel 7 uh, that all of creation will sing the praises and worship this son of man. This is Jesus' favorite term for himself. But what's the, what's the idea behind this? The idea is this, that God made a covenant with man and man couldn't quite keep that covenant. You ever broken a promise? You ever said one thing and did another? You ever told your kids, do as I say, not as I do? We don't use that anymore, right? Because we already know that's true, right? And oftentimes we fall short of what we say we're going to do. And yet God made a covenant with man. He used one man to show us what ultimately all men would do. He showed us that all men will make a mistake. All men will fall short. All men will break promises. All people will move away from the way of God and go their own way. And that's true of me and that's true of you. And then God chose one people to show what all people would do, that they would reject. That even if God blessed them, even if God gave them status and resource and kingdom, that all people, all nations, would reject him. So God uses one man to show what all men would do, and he chooses one people, these Jews, to show what all people would do collectively. So when the Greeks come, he goes, no, 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 I need to show you, ultimately. I'll use them. And so when people, when people say, God's chosen people, what has he chosen? Maybe he's chosen to put you on display. And sometimes that's a display of suffering well. Sometimes that's a display, a contrast between men and God. God will use us as symbols, as a speech, as a sermon, as a story, ultimately leading people to his glorious grace that no matter what all men do, God is who he is. No matter if men will not keep their end of the bargain, God will keep his end of the bargain. No matter what all people do, reject him, even though they've been blessed by him, God will be God and God will be faithful.
So then what does God do? God becomes a man, the son of man, and he dies for all people so that he can make a new people, not bound by sin and death, not afraid of their present reality because this is merely sandcastles, friends. There's more than what meets the eye. We're playing in a sandbox and there's a universe that God has prepared that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for you and I. So live as those who love not their life in the sandbox because there's more. James says life is a mist. It's here, it's gone. If you love your life, you'll lose it. What do you mean? Sometimes you can love your life so much so that you lose your life in a very practical way. You love your job, you might lose your family. You love money, you might lose your friends. You love popularity, you might lose your faith. Sometimes we can love things so much so that we'll actually lose the very things that are most important. But Jesus says, if you'll lose your life, for my sake, if you'll say, there is no king but King Jesus. There is nothing to this sandbox. There's more. That all of this is fleeting. All of this is passing away. This is a new idea, friend, throughout human history. People were buried with their trinkets and their toys. The ancient Egypt, uh, Egyptians were buried with things that they thought would meet them on the other side. And yet those who are buried in Christ, they never have a U-Haul backed up to a hearse because they know they can't take any of it with them, baby. So store not for yourself treasures on earth, that rust and moth, the thing you bought last week, you're selling on Craigslist this week. The thing you wanted, the thing you craved, the thing you... It decayed. And the whole world is preaching a sermon. Don't hold on to things that are fleeting. So God became a man to show us what humanity should be like in order to create a people of God, a kingdom of God, to show them what people should be like, what communities should be like underneath King Jesus. So he says this, Unless a grain of wheat dies, it remains singular. See, up until that point, Jerusalem was the center of the known world religiously. This one group of people that were monotheistic, they worshiped one God, and it, God would meet them in this one place. In the time of Moses, it was the, a tent, a tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle, there was this interplace called the Holy of Holies. And inside the courts, there would be images, that, that these, these distinct images that would make them think about spiritual places. They would use symbols throughout the temple. Then in the time of Solomon, there was a temple and, uh, made of, of hands, made with hands, brick and mortar. Inside was the Holy of Holies. Both of these places are the place where God would come and only the high priest would be allowed on behalf of the people to enter in. One man, one high priest for the sake of the people. And so Jesus comes as our great high priest, but not only as the priest, but as the sacrifice for all people. 
Why? So that he could take this one place and this one people and he could break the whole thing wide open and he would use the one thing that we all share, death. The one thing that we all have in common. The one thing that supersedes all race, all language, all culture is that we have a fear of death and Jesus defeats Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Our God has defeated you. Our God became a man. He lived a selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. And because of that death, God the Father has given Jesus a name which is above all name, that every people will worship him to the praise of God the Father. See, Jesus died so that he could reproduce his life in you so that now there's not one temple you are the temple of the Holy Spirit you are this place where people meet God and you don't have to be perfect a high priest he is the high priest he is the one who lives selfless and blameless and is our example and now he lives in you now you're not waiting for God to do something you are asking him, God, what would you have me do? And then you got to realize you're like a kid going to work with his dad. You got a plastic hammer, friend, right? He, he does the work and you get the joy of being along the ride with your heavenly father for his glory and the good that he brings through community, that he brings through encouragement, that he brings through putting people together and flooding them with the presence of God so you can experience moments like you did during worship. When for whatever reason, some of you didn't even know why you were crying, you were just crying. You didn't know what you were experiencing, but you thought it was something. You thought it was something for people to put on display, but they were pledging their allegiance to no king but King Jesus. And there is no king but the king who could conquer death, hell, and the grave and openly put to shame every principality, spiritual wickedness in high places that no longer do you have to be afraid or anxious or fearful, but the joy of the Lord could be your strength. And every time you are with his people, heaven floods earth for his glory and our good. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace. You would help us starve the old us and live to the new. Let us not feed our spirit with gossip and lies and human tradition and empty empty philosophies and ideologies. Let us abandon all ideology. Let us not have an idea of who you are, but let us seek to know who you are in the person of Jesus. Help us every day to follow you. I thank you for every person who entered into the waters of baptism, pledging their allegiance to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the announcement that all need to hear the announcement that our God has become king 
by way of the cross, and his name is Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. Let everything we say and everything we do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?